fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters and to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. Today, I'm really excited to spend time with uh, a pair that have been fairly notorious um, in the iGaming industry. Um, They operate under the Ada Lovelace pseudonym. Uh, You might have seen it on LinkedIn. And their speciality has been about bonus abuse. So the pair behind Ada Lovelace have a really interesting background. Uh, They were very much um, prolific bonus abusers that have been... Uh, very much in the thorns of uh, a lot of iGaming merchants uh, globally. And they've recently, for the last few years, actually changed over to um, helping now (laughs) the the, the iGaming merchants. So they've been kind enough to have a very open conversation about some of their story, and uh, we'd we'll like to drill into some detail there. Um, so, so big welcome to uh, the pair behind Ed the Lovelace, Osric and Ed. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, coming on. Oh, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So let's start off with this. In your years uh, of bonus abuse, what was like maybe a, a, a high level question? What's what's kind of some of the craziest things you've seen uh, in that world? Uh, cool. So, um, so much stuff goes on. It's it's really actually quite fun and entertaining to to be involved in it and seeing it all happening around you. So, a couple of the things that really stood out for me was actually some of the um, crazy offers that that get put out. So on many occasions, there's been offers that have been put out for free spins, um, but the operators actually put it out with. Um, Many, many, many times, like maybe a hundred times the intended value of the offer. So rather than putting out, say, a hundred spins at forty p, for example, they're putting out a hundred spins at forty pounds, uh, which is, I think, the biggest example I can remember. Um, it, it's not always that big, of course, um, but but you know things of that nature, and so so they get shared around. Uh, but there's all sorts of other things as well. So um, like a, I was abusing one site so much, um, depositing so often that they actually contacted me and said, hey. Uh, we want you to be a VIP on the site, which is really cool. Um, another, I mean, silly, silly admin errors as well, which I find really kind of just amazed that they let it happen. But being paid out twice for a single withdrawal, so you request your two hundred pound withdrawal, whatever it is, and you see it hit your bank twice, and you're like, well, thanks very much. <laughs> Insane offers that used to be thrown around, uh, and actually came back for a little while recently, is uh, an eighteen hundred percent deposit match, as in deposit ten, get one hundred and eighty pound bonus. Uh, and this wasn't just a one-off like VIP welcome offer. This is a weekly offer uh, that was repeated many, many times, uh, and it was highly abusable as well. So, so for me, it was a roughly about 170 pound of EV on a weekly basis per account. And uh, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they justify it. But thank you very much. At the height of what we were doing, um, our earnings were, I suppose, just uncapped. Um, and some of the exploits um, kind of per site uh, were worth millions to, to bonus abusers. Um, so just, just some simple things such as uh, being able to create duplicate accounts. So um, 
it's one thing to be able to exploit, uh, you know, a welcome offer from an operator, but if you can do that an indefinite amount of times with the same identity, then essentially you can print money. And this is this is something that we we used to test for, and that would be the kind of uh, you know the, the the best exploit you could find in terms of value. But but there's many things like um, kind of open loopholes in the bonus engine logic that just allow you to turn turn bonus instantly to cash without without having to complete any of the wagering or exploiting the automated payment system so you could kind of breach the terms and conditions and consistently get away with it and uh, have your withdrawals processed by using certain dilution and distraction tactics um, and, and you start combining these things and it, it essentially allowed some of these exploits to go on for years and years um, some of them, you know, five years in, and we're still exploiting the same weekly reload offer, or um, and to the tune of hundreds of thousands, you know, for, for some single operators uh, per per person, you know. So uh, for me, what the craziest thing really is just uh, how exploitable the industry has been, and and for large part, still is. Yeah, that last sentence is interesting. Still is right, uh, but for the industry. So, so to take a step back there uh, for the for everyone, well, what did life look like for you guys? Um, how did you even get into bonus abuse? Uh, for me, I mean, uh, I, I had a relatively typical life. You know, I was in my twenties, um, working hard, playing hard. Uh, you know, going to gigs, festivals, pubs, parties. Uh, you know, from the party to work four hours later, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, and holding down a sales job the whole time. Uh, I was always into sales, really, sort of techie sales. Um, but after a while, I uh, settled down, had some kids. Um, I got made redundant from a job, which sucks, but I was earning sort of 30, 35 grand a year, so fairly well paid. I uh, got made redundant, went to another job that was different. It was still sales, but it's working from home, a company I didn't really get on with, a product that wasn't good. Um, and I didn't like it. And um, interestingly, it was in that job I found out about match betting and bonus abuse. Uh, in fact, my manager told me about it on day one. Um, so I, I tried it alongside the job. I found that very, very quickly I could earn more money in the evening than I could in the day job, which was fairly well paid in itself. Uh, so I decided to jack in the job uh, and dedicate all my time to match betting and bonus abuse because it pays more. Yeah. Uh, and so I had a family and I wanted to provide as, as well as I could. So after maybe five, six years of bonus abuse, uh, I'd seen the amount of profit you can make per account drop quite significantly. I mean, we've mentioned this before in other recordings that the amount of money you could make five, six years ago from bonus abuse was through the roof. Um, and you can still make good money today, uh, but it's in smaller chunks. You know, the, the best value offers are, are gone or they're worth way less. Um, and I think that's largely down to two main things. Uh, one being uh, very large syndicates of hundreds or thousands of accounts, uh, which are all hitting, you know, relentlessly like a factory just hitting the offers over and over and over again and so it causes operators to, to reduce or remove their offers uh, and of course that the taxes the bonus taxes etc that were introduced uh, a year or two ago um, and personally for me I preferred to um, exploit casinos through through loopholes so like using exploitable slots and uh, using the game uh, site mechanics and um, you're at risk of having confiscations with that type of offer. If the casino catches on to what you're doing, you break their terms and conditions, they will confiscate. And so it's a case that when these large 
multi-accounting groups and syndicates start hitting the same things that you are, it becomes really, really obvious to the operator. And so that's when it gets shut down. That's when you tend to get your confiscations. And so it became more and more risky as time went on. That um, Unless you're literally the first person through the door to abuse them, your chance of confiscation is quite high. Whilst I was in school, um, I had a bit of a, a scheme running where um, I was setting up bots essentially to basically apply for free samples online using these free sample directories. Um, and what I'd do is I'd get a hundred of the, the same samples sent to my house, but I would um, set the bot up in a way that would change those details enough to bypass duplicate uh, account recognition. Um, so I'd essentially receive, you know, like a, a hundred T-shirts through the post or whatever, and then I'd sell them <laughs> as bulk on eBay. But I actually got to a point where I was like, why am I, uh, why am I paying the postage here? Um, what I'll do is I'll sell them on eBay when somebody buys, you know, a bulk of 100 of wh whatever the item might be. I'll just put their details into the into the bot and get all of this sent straight to them. And uh, you know, as every single item is going to be individually wrapped, and they're not going to be too happy, I'll just send an extra 50 on top as well, keep them sweet. So I actually was making you know thousands per month. But, uh, you know, I wasn't even 16 at the time. Back when PayPal wasn't very secure. My house was um, a company address because there was a company that had a had a kind of shop there before we moved in, and then it was made residential. And so, like, I took advantage of the fact that it was a company address, and basically just created a template asking for free samples of whatever product, firing it out to thousands of company with like an email bot that just changed the product name and the industry info and stuff. I kind of then went on to a normal life as a grew up. Uh, set up a business and during the Brexit vote actually uh, June 2016 my business got quite impacted by the change in the, the value of the pound uh, it was kind of an export import business and so at that point I was already uh, kind of exploring bonus abuse and I've done all the guides and I was doing it as a kind of side project uh, but I went full-time with it I thought I'm making more money than I am with a business anyway it's only going to get harder with a business um, I'm just going to put all my resources and energy and time fully into this. So we've been doing it several years before, but that's when really kind of heavily invested in, in it. Yeah, that's the thing that always uh, amazes me is how professionalized a kind of bonus abuse is, right? It can be really industrial scale from what I've seen. Sure, yeah. So so for me, it was, it was basically a job. So I had an office, I had staff working for me, they they work towards targets. Um, you know, it's not it's not as uh, glamorous as you might think. You know, it's, it's like any other job, I suppose. Um, so my time was spent kind of managing identities, um, testing the sites for the exploits and dealing with the kind of operator disputes and the IBAS disputes. So then I'd have people that actually did the, the kind of spinning and the, and, and the, the betting side of things. So mm -hmm. me, me and Ed kind of partnered together um on site testing actually so like it was saying his thing was uh, identifying the kind of exploitable site mechanics uh, and we both uh loved that side of things and that's really where we invested a lot of energy together testing pretty much every single well every single uk licensed operator uh, to identify all of those exploits the legal stance on this is uh, quite interesting my understanding is it's a gray area um, maybe yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And how, how large is this as an issue for iGamings 
in other sectors, for example? Well, um, from my understanding, well, match betting itself, uh, bonus abuse is completely legal. Uh, many operators have publicly stated the same. Uh, the, the part of it which falls into what I would consider a grey area is the betting on behalf of your friends and your family, etc., betting on behalf of other people. Um, it's always done, uh, at least in our case, with their permission. Um, so it's a grey area. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's never been tested in court, so that there is no evidence that it is illegal in that sense. Um, I mean, there, there is certainly a dark side to it as well. I'm sure there are people out there who do um, steal identities that make up fraudulent identities, and that's, that's clear cut, but that's certainly never the game that we was into. Um, but quite literally, tens of thousands of people do what we did in terms of bonus abusing with their friends' identities, etc. Uh, and so it's, I think it's fine to assume that it's fine to do. Uh, in terms of other sectors, uh, I, I literally have no idea. Uh, iGaming um, specifically, we, we estimate there's around 1 million accounts being operated by, uh, with permission by the actual bonus abusers uh, that don't belong to them. So it's quite a significant issue. So my understanding is using someone else's ID uh, identity with permission is kind of a matter of civil law rather than common law. Um, so we're always, very careful of staying on the right side of the law. And um, my neighbour's a university lecturer of law. So I always go to her just to, just to check and make sure whatever I'm doing um, kind, of, kind of stays on the right side of the law. Um, and, if, and if she's stuck for an answer, she actually takes it to her, to her students, basically, creates a project based around it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, was, it, was, sorry, it was interesting um, entering the industry uh, because we were labelled fraudsters for the first time, and that's not really what we ever considered ourselves, which was to commit fraud just to, to break the law. Whereas uh, we realised once we, we entered this space that it's used as a kind of umbrella term um, that we uh, seemingly fall into. Uh, because we won't break the law, we never saw it that way, so we've kind of um, compromised on the term legal fraud or legal fraudsters. Legal fraudsters. <laughs> yeah. Very good. You, there, there definitely are uh, companies out there where it seems like you know they advertise legitimately, uh, you know, via search engines, via PPC. When you look at their websites, you know, they have little explainer videos, but in reality, they are handling hundreds, if not thousands, of multi-accounts. So that's still in the grey area. That's uh, that's kind of not provable by law as well, <laughs> despite what they're doing. It's like a factory for bonus abuse. Exactly, yeah. And some of these uh, have limited companies that they run their accounts through. Uh, they pay their taxes. They employ staff. You know, they have offices. So, um, yeah, it's very much um, an untested grey area. <laughs> so so always interested in this, um, in this show. You know, what, what should fraud managers be doing? What can they think about so that they are thinking about bonus abuse in the right way? Uh, it's an interesting one. Um, fraud managers take a lot of flack for bonus abuse. Um, when, when we go and work with an operator, with our consultant squeeze, we, uh, we always find that the fraud managers, they, they have varying degrees of knowledge around bonus abuse. It's worth mentioning, however, that turning this knowledge of what is bonus abuse, because the fraud managers do typically know a fair amount, uh, but turning that into actually uh, solid solutions across the whole business, that's that's um, 
a difficult thing for a fraud manager to sometimes make happen. Um, and it doesn't entirely sit with them. You know, a lot of it sits with the CRM, a lot of it sits with um, the, simply the tech, um, you know, the actual infrastructure of the company. Uh, and it takes quite a large business decision to say, look, we're going to make some huge changes. Um, and it takes a very big voice to do that. So if it's just a fraud person saying, hey, we need to make these changes, it's costing us money. Uh, it doesn't always happen. Also to point out, I'm not saying it should really sit on the shoulders of fraud exactly, but the business as a whole, they do need to be able to identify the abuse that's happening so they can put a price on it. Uh, they need to understand the, the techniques and the behaviours that drive the abuse um, to be able to do that effectively. And uh, then, then they should be in a position to say, hey, we've got a price, we've got an actual figure for this abuse. We can actually get a return on investment if we make these specific changes. So I just I just um, second what Ed is saying. Uh, identification is very much retrospective, and the only way of, to change that uh, understanding and to be on top of current behaviours and trends is by getting your hands dirty. So I'd actually recommend that fraud managers give bonus abuse a go, uh, and kind of see firsthand, you know, what what the trends and behaviours are. <laughs> That's brilliant. Advocating bonus abuse on an anti-bonus abuse <laughs> podcast. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think another thing as well is with with fraud in terms of how they've always gone about tackling bonus abuse. I mean, it is always retrospective, but it's also reactive as well in, in that they won't deal with most bonus abuse until it becomes so significant that it's blindingly obvious. Um, and, and that's a really expensive way to to tackle something. You know, you wait until it, it, it really hits the bottom line and then you say, OK, now we're going to tackle it. Uh, and they only tackle the the one specific thing. So if, for example, they're being hit really heavily on one particular exploitable slot, for example, they'll take action against that one slot without knowing there might be another 20 slots on their site that can do exactly the same thing. Uh, and bonus abusers will very quickly figure that out. And then again, the operator will be back in the same position where the fraud guys are waiting for that um, spike in uh, losses to then be reactive again. With COVID-19, we're all finding ourselves with a lot more time on our hands uh, in our own homes. Do, do you think that means the bonus abuse industry, do you expect it to be fueled by that? So, yeah, it's definitely going to have a, an impact. Uh, I mean, short term, uh, it's, it's limited sports massively. Everyone knows that. So how the bonus abuse community has reacted is, is they've had a big push towards casino. Um, so some of the, the main forums, the biggest forums have, have made specific launches. They've launched a casino only brand to really focus on that. And so what they're essentially doing is they're pushing all of their um, basic, you know, sports abusers and they're upskilling them to casino abuse. And so um, there's going to be a significant increase. I mean, there, there already has been a significant increase in the uh, amount of bonus abuse there is on the casino side and long term uh, it's going to be a case that it's exponential you know you have all the people that are already skilled at bonus abuse in, on casino and then you have an entirely new wave all coming through at the same time um, on the back of the changes because of COVID-19. Um, and the other aspect of that as well is uh, but for some people some people actually drop out of bonus abuse if, if all they knew was sports all they were comfortable doing was sports and they didn't want to touch casino because some people still just see it as gambling because there's not a 100% guaranteed return on a single offer so they see it as gambling some of those people may actually decide you know what the money's not what it used to be sports has died I'm going to go and get a job so to relate back 
Um, so how I got into bonus abuse um, with my business uh, suffering, um, I guess it's it's the same with COVID. Um, as with all types of fraud, it generally spikes when people are in desperate situations. Um, bonus abuse become popular during the last recession. I think people just pick the path of least resistance. So I think it's very likely that, that what we're going to see is uh, an increase in, in not only bonus abuse, but most types of fraud, really. The title of the show is Cat and Mouse. And so I always like to close on this with our guests. In this world of bonus abusers versus professional fraud managers, um, who would you say uh, you guys are, the cat or the mouse here? Uh, um, uh, I, I'm just a cheese connoisseur. <laughs> the cheese is the money uh, and I follow the money maybe the cat and the mouse I have no idea uh, I would say the operators are certainly the mouse but the no, I don't know I don't know <laughs> are they getting away or are they the prey that's why we ask yeah it's, it's a it's a complete circle isn't it you have the the bonus abusers um chasing the bonuses and you have the the operators trying to move that bonus away from them um it's and and then the, the operators will make a confiscation then the bonus abusers will be chasing the operators for their money back so it's it's a full circle there there is no single cat or single mouse it's, it's a it's a circus <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Osric. That's been a real pleasure having you on the show there. Thanks for having us. Thank Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.